I suppose that we all know and understand that churches are composed of individuals. And every congregation develops a character based upon those who are within that congregation. And because we are what we ought to be, we make ourselves lovable. People love and appreciate those who are uh, kind and those who are interested and those who express their love in so many ways. The church at Philippi was special to Paul. He developed a relationship with them that was unique as compared with even the other congregations. He loved them. He wanted to be with them. And as we have studied last week, and we're going to be studying for just a few weeks, the letter to the Philippians, tonight we're going to talk about a prayer for partners. You see, it began with a prayer meeting that happened with a group of women down by the riverside in Philippi. There Paul developed that special bond with the church at Philippi, and in these opening verses, he expresses his appreciation for them and tells them why he is so appreciative for them. These are the things that he highlights and says, this is what makes you special in my mind. In verses 3 through 8, we can see the basis of this special bond. Brother Tommy just read for us that wonderful passage which talks about the remembrance and the prayers that he had for them. And so here's what we want to do in our lesson tonight. We want to explore four things. We want to look at verse 3 and see why Paul says he remembers them very well. We want to look at verse 4 and the request that he will make of God in his prayer for them. In verses 5 and 6, he will discuss the relationship that they have developed with one another. And then finally, a resolve of what we want to accomplish in serving God. And you say, well... You know, that was that church and that was Paul with them. But I want us to look and see it as Paul presents it and then say, okay, what can you and I do here at this congregation to be the kind of people that the Philippians were with Paul? So let's begin our study now. Let's look specifically at verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You think of that phrase, every remembrance of you. And I want you to think, some of you, if you can, maybe if you have been a part of another congregation, some of the things that were special. In fact, Coretta and I, as we were going home after lunch today, talked about and remembered some of our days with other congregations. And I will tell you that I remember with great fondness, particularly the first congregation that we worked with. It's hard to believe it's been 41 years ago. All those great people have gone on. I can remember if I'm standing in the pulpit looking to the left and seeing in the corner on the front pew Brother Tennell Ward. He led the singing. And uh, he was sort of like me. He had a chubby face. And when he would lead the song, his glasses would bounce up and down. But he had such a passionate heart for the songs that we sang. I remember Brother Royal McGee. He was a man who could get up and read God's Word, and you thought the Apostle Paul was speaking. I mean, it was so well done, uh, so much from the heart. 
And he had read it so many times, he knew right where to pause and how to read with feeling. And I can remember Brother Roscoe Higgins. He was a church treasurer. He didn't get to come to church much. Brother Roscoe had emphysema. I go by his house and visit with him, and he had a contraption, I guess is the best way to call it, that would allow him to strap in. They would flip him upside down, and then all the drainage would have to drain out. A very sad thing to have to endure, but such a good man and such a sweet wife. You see, that was a congregation that when I think back now, I think about all of the wonderful things that were in. I even remember several funny things that were a part of that work. Paul says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. Isn't it special that every time you think of somebody, you think of positive things, you think of good things. Well, what would Paul remember as he thought about the Philippians? Well, the response of Lydia and her household when he was down by the riverside. How that she and her household, listen to Acts 16, verses 14 and 15. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. I think about Paul teaching these women how there was an obedience to the gospel right there, and now she says, if you judge me faithful, if you, if you think that I'm what I ought to be, come to my house. Stay with us. Let me be with you a little bit. Let me maybe even learn some more from you. You think also about the jailer. Oh yeah, we remember about Paul and Silas being thrown into the jail. We remember the beatings that took place by the Roman guards. But I want you to think about the jailer. He's a member of that congregation. In Acts 16, verses 33 and 34, And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. He rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now I want you to notice some things that you might not have fully noticed here. It appears that even while he's at the jail, Paul and Silas are having their stripes washed. You know, that's of great comfort to have all of that beating treated well. But even further than that, he took them to his house. He set food before them. He treated them with hospitality. Now, Paul, as he's thinking about this congregation, you think about Lydia. You think about the jailer. All pleasant memories with this congregation. You know, the truth is that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes, preachers, congregations, individuals. Some of our memories may not always be pleasant, but everything that Paul could recall about this congregation, all of them were sweet memories to him. And so I asked the question, how will you and I be remembered? Will we be remembered as the congregational grouch? Will we be remembered as the person with the encouraging word? Will we be remembered as the person who spoke to everyone and never treated anyone as a stranger? Listen to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, 
and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Paul said, you know, this is such a wonderful group of people at Thessalonica because he says, you know, every time y'all think of us, you think good thoughts. It's reciprocal. You treat others good, others treat you in return. When someone comes and visits us, what do they remember about us? Is it good? Is it positive? Let's go to verse 4 now. Always in every prayer of mine making request for you all with joy. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. You know, Paul was a praying man. He prayed frequently, he prayed often, and he prayed for a lot of different things. But particularly, Paul prayed for brethren everywhere. I I enjoy the privilege of being able to go to several different congregations. Some of them, it seems, every year, every year or so. You develop a good relationship with the elders of those congregations, the preacher that's there, several of the members. You'll get to, you know, remember their personalities and stuff. And you get the the privilege of being able to think about them. And when you're praying your prayer and you know that they've got difficulties facing them or they've got something good, you want to remember them. Listen to Paul, Romans 1 verse 9 For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. All the church at Rome could be a congregation that was a beacon, a light. They're in the imperial city. They're where people will come and pass through. But it wasn't just there. Paul also worked for three and a half years in Ephesus. And in Ephesians 1 and verse 16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul's going to pray for Rome. Paul's going to pray for Ephesus. Paul's also going to pray for a congregation to which he had never been, the church in Colossae. Chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. There may be congregations with you which you have never seen but you've heard of. For instance, the church in Selkirk, Ontario. Many of you know that earlier this year that Brother Michael Toby passed away. I can't tell you what kind of effect that would have had on that congregation. They all loved him. They all appreciated him. I hope you prayed for those brethren the struggles that they have and their attempt to try to go forward, having a man who put in so many years of good service with them. Or the Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, we give thanks to God for you always, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And then Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day. And you start saying, well, if Paul is praying for Rome, Paul is praying for the Ephesians, he's praying for the Thessalonians, he's praying for the Colossians, he's praying for Timothy. Paul must have prayed a lot. He did. He did. 
And then he also prayed for Philemon. Verse 4, I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. A lot of people had made an impact on Paul and he included them in his prayers. But there's that little phrase at the end of that verse which he says, with joy. Now, it's no problem for him to request good things for them. You know, when you pray for somebody who has treated you well, that's a very easy thing to do. Lord, bless this person. They've been nice to me. I want you to give them the greatest blessings you can. But it's much more difficult to pray for our enemies. Those people who, for instance, may have said something ugly about us. They may have worked against us in trying to accomplish good for the Lord. They may have been people who were actually trying to lead others in a different direction. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 44? But I say, do you love your enemies? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And listen, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, do you mean that there are people for whom I should pray that are actually being ugly? Yes. In fact, that's what you need to be doing is praying for them. Because you want God to turn their hearts around. You want God for those people to do the right thing, not to do the wrong thing. Well, what did Paul request for the Philippians? Let's look at verses 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now you could spend a lot of time, if you wish, to look at each of those things individually. To pray for people that they will have love. Let's say you've got a congregation where you know there's strife. What should you pray for with that congregation? That they'll learn to love one another like the Thessalonians who were taught of God to love one another. What about a congregation that perhaps, or maybe an individual, that needs to grow? You pray for their knowledge that they understand. Discernment. We've got some of our young people going off to school, some that will be returning to school, and they're going to have to be forced into situations where they have to make some judgment calls, that they have good discernment, able to determine what's right and what's wrong, to learn to approve the things that are excellent, to go after the good things. And then he says, sincere without offense. You know, you pray that they don't make any mistakes. We certainly would pray for that for our children, that they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness. So Paul's request that he remembered for these people. But now, let's look at the third aspect in verses 5 and 6, the relationship that they had developed. For your fellowship 
in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul uses this word for your fellowship in the gospel. How long had they been in fellowship with him? They've been in fellowship from the first day until now. I have to believe that from the very first day that Lydia was converted, her goal was, I want to support the preaching of the gospel that I've heard to someone else. I want someone else to hear the message that I've heard. Does Paul need help in doing that? Yes, he does. Either Paul's going to spend his time making tents or Paul's going to spend his time preaching. And Lydia would say, I sell purple. I make plenty of money and I want to see the gospel preached. That word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. And it is found in several places. But it means a partnership. A joint participation. It's not as if the two of us are in business together and you do all the work and I take all the credit. No, that's not it at all. It's the fact that the both of you are working together. In Luke chapter 5, verse 10, talking about Peter and Andrew and James and John, it says, And so also were James and John with the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Partners. Peter and Andrew and James and John, both two sets of brothers, worked together in the fishing business. They also worked together in the fishing of souls business. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 23, If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner. He's the one who works with me. He works together with me. You have to see Paul and the work he's doing, and you see the Philippians. And Paul said from the very first day until now, we've been working together. We've had this relationship. You think about congregations and the relationship they have with the man who preaches, the relationship they have with the men who oversee them, the relationship they have with visitors. And they had a great relationship here, and theirs was a partnership. You go to chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, and you Philippians know that also in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church... Share with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again for my necessities. Whatever I needed, you provided and you provided well. The reason why Paul could do the work he was doing was because of them. That relationship which they had established. Are there people like the Philippians who support the preaching of the gospel? Well, sure there are. In 3 John, verses 5 through 8, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well, because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Yeah, you have Gaius there in 3 John. Gaius is a good man. What does Gaius do? He says, I want to help the preaching of the gospel. Well, Paul says, 
This relationship is God began this in you and he'll complete it. This will be a, a work that's going to find fruition. It'll, it'll have a good end to it. Verse 6, And being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. But not only did they share with Paul financially, but they shared with Paul with the sufferings as well. You know, sometimes people will say, okay, how much money do you need? And they'll reach in their billfold and they'll give you money and they'll, they'll support it. But these people were with Paul in a relationship that said, we'll suffer together. Verse 10 of chapter 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul said, I want to have fellowship with the Lord and if that means fellowshipping his sufferings, I will do that. Chapter 4, verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well in that you shared in my distress. You know, there's times that people are going through difficult things in their lives. We have people here from time to time who are suffering injuries. They're suffering illnesses. And it hurts us for their hurt. We have a heart that is pouring out for them and that relationship that is built there. Paul said the Philippians had it. Now finally, let's look at the resolve in verses 7 and 8. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of this grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul has resolved to do whatever it takes. You know, when you think about his life, he says, in both the chains and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, Paul's chains was not going to stop him from doing what he needed to do. When Paul wrote Timothy in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer to the point of change, but the word of God is not chained. You can put Paul in prison in stocks as they did in Philippi, but it didn't stop him from singing, it didn't stop him from praising God, and it did not stop him from converting the jailer. In chapter 1, verse 13, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. Paul said, everybody that's in the palace, you know, Paul's in prison in Rome. And what has happened is, it's opened a door for him to be able to teach the palace guard. He says, and the most of my brethren of the Lord having become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. They see Paul doing it, and they say, let's look and see what it is. That brings a resolve. The defending of the gospel. Philippians 1 and verse 17, Paul says that I'm appointed or set for the defense of the gospel. According to 1 Peter 3 verse 15, all of us need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us yet with meekness and fear. And then he talks about the confirmation of the gospel. That is where God put his stamp of approval on it. Hebrews 2 and verse 3, 
He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which having at first been spoken by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Mark 16, 20, they went everywhere confirming the word. Paul said, now when you look at you, this resolve that you have, it's whatever it takes, whether it's the chains or whether it's my defense of the gospel, you're right there with me. Now here's what I want you to look at as we bring all of this to an end. I think it makes us ask questions. I know it makes me ask questions. The questions I want to ask, do I remember the church in my prayers? The church here at Bobby Branch. Do I pray for you? Are you praying for us as a congregation? I hope so. Am I partnering with the church in seeing the gospel is carried into all the world? Do I see this as not just, you know, some people will speak you as versus us. As if the church is separate and apart from them. It's not you church, it is us church. Don't understand that. Am I partnering with the the church, and carrying the gospel into all the world? Do I have a love for the Lord and for the brethren? Paul loved these brethren so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to serve with them. Now I ask the question, are you enjoying the fellowship of the believers right now? Now here's the great challenge. You're not a Christian. You're on the outside here are the believers, here's the children of God. We talked about Acts 2.47 this morning, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. That is, those who are being baptized, those who are being obedient to the gospel. They're being added to the church. If you're not a Christian, you're not in the fellowship. You're missing something. You're missing something great. Are you enjoying your fellowship as a believer in Christ? One of the great purposes that Paul had in writing the letter to the Philippians was to remind them of the joy that they ought to have. Philippians 4 verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. I mentioned a couple of years ago in preparing a lesson that... um, When I first started playing golf, I hit the ball and I hit it and my arms jarred and the ball just dribbled down and I said, that didn't feel good. And the reply was, you're not doing it right. They were correct. I wasn't doing it right. If you don't take joy in the Lord and you're not loving the brethren, you're not doing it right. And so you and I tonight, if we're not in fellowship with the Lord, we're not in fellowship with our brethren, we're not committed to the church, we're not committed to our Lord Jesus Christ, then maybe we ought to take some self-evaluation of ourselves. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation tonight, would you come as together we stand and sing?